Good morning, church. That's a little weak. Good morning, church. It's good to see everybody. Uh, thank you. So many of you were uh, kind to wish me a happy birthday this last week, uh, and I appreciate it. Jerry Ann and I share the same month of birthday, but course she reminded me of how old she was and that she had to just go ahead and throw that you know I was in your youth group thank you for that Jerry Ann I told her her number didn't bother me it was my own number you know uh, 64 that bothers me so but I'll tell you it's good to be together and uh, I remember visiting one time in the nursing home and I was talking to a lady there and she was saying uh, about her birthday and her age and she said I don't grow old I just grow closer to home and I love that thought and that idea glad to see everybody here this morning uh, guys in the uh, fellowship center glad to have y'all right raise a hand let me know you're there all right I got you uh, John 14 is what we're going to be working out of. Uh, Sullivan Stokes is going to come and do our scripture reading for today. So come on up, Sullivan. I understand Sullivan likes reading and singing. And look, I, I, it's been a long time since I've heard your dad sing, but I've heard your mom sing. And there's talent there enough for both of them. So I'm just saying, I know that's going to be a great blessing to us one day too. So if you would please read our verse for us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Thank you so much, Saul. I appreciate that very much. That may seem like and sound like a short verse, but I'm going to tell you something. That's packed with a lot of stuff. And we're going to do something. We're going to make a run at this. Uh, Al and I have been kind of laying out the preaching schedule and what we want to accomplish before the end of the year. And so he said, well, Mike, if we're going to really reach our goal, you've got to preach on the whole chapter of John 14. I said, thanks, Al. You know, uh, uh, but uh, uh, we're going to we're going to make a run at it. okay? and now don't forget uh, through our book of John. Remember, this book is written to cause people to believe. It's called people to believe in Jesus and what he's saying so that they can have salvation. They can have a relationship with God. That's what he says in the very end of the book. He tells you why he wrote these things. And all through this book, up through these uh, 13 chapters, he keeps developing this idea of who he is. Over and over he's telling them his identity and what he wants to do for them and what he's going to do for them. And he's just come off of this chapter 13 where they've had the feet washing and he's expressed his love for them. And uh, he's also told them some things that disturb them. One, that he was leaving them. And the other thing is that there's going to be some denials and betrayals take place. And Peter is just the last one he's talked to here in the early ver- uh, last verses of, uh, of John 13, where Peter said, Lord, uh, why can I follow you now? I'll lay down my life. And he says, look, before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. And how discouraging to know that kind of thing ahead of time, you know. Uh, and yet all these disciples are going through some uh, feelings of their own, abandonment. They're troubled. They're thinking about, I poured my life into this guy for three years, and now he's going to leave me? What kind of deal is that, you know? They didn't quite understand this whole, I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back again. Let's do a little, let's do a little bit of further reading. John uh, 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. 
it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, and this is the sixth I am statement of the book here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's a pretty exclusive statement, isn't it? That the only way to come to the Father, the only way to have salvation, the only way to find heaven is through this one called Jesus Christ? Yes, that's his claim. Now that's always going to rub the world a wrong way. And we all come the same way. We all come from the world. We all come as sinners. We all come having the same need for God's grace, right? And so, but when Jesus makes this proclamation, he is saying there's no other way for you to be right with God other than through him. It seems like so many other statements sound so much better like, well, all roads lead to heaven. Or as Gandhi once said, The need of the moment is not one religion, but mutual respect and tolerance of the different religions. Boy, it sounds so good and so right. And yet, it's so wrong for the hope of people in the world. There is only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. That's not said in some arrogant, haughty, religious way. That's the words that Jesus Christ said to us. And to the disciples this very day, when they're troubled. Now look, their trouble involved their sadness, he's leaving. Their trouble involved their own shame that they knew some betrayals were taking place. Their trouble involved some confusion about, really do another way? I mean, how how do we know and how are we going to get to where you are? So all these emotions are going on in these guys. And so he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do what? Trust me and trust God. Believe me, he says, when I tell you something. And he tells them he is the way, the truth, the life. You see, he tells them that he's leaving them, he's preparing for them, and he's coming back for them. And they can count on that. You know, if it was just the leaving, okay, it's sad. But I'm leaving for you, I'm preparing for you, and I'm coming back for you. So he says, believe me, I'm coming back. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, read much about people's prophecies or philosophies about the end of the world. I had people always ask me, I had a guy ask me the other day at breakfast, he's like, Mike, all this stuff that's happening in 2020, are those signs that the world's coming to an end? You know, everybody is always, there's that, that natural craving for men to see some kind of idea in all the signs of the time. While well, look at what's happened, uh, is, uh, is, is Donald Trump the uh, Antichrist? I have one person ask me that. The other said, is Nancy Pelosi the Antichrist? And I, I really didn't want to say no, but I mean, no, not really. I mean, you know. I mean, is so-and-so an antichrist that you disagree with or, you, or that you like it, the one that one's not? It's not about who is what. 
The end of the world is not about the signs of the time. Matter of fact, Jesus made it very clear. No one knows the time. And it will come at a time that you're not expecting it. And all the normal things in life will be going on. That's why he says always be sober-minded, watchful, and alert, and live like any day can be the end of time. But no man, anybody gets up and pronounces to you that they know when the end of time is, so they can read the signs, run from them as fast as you can. The Bible is where we get our truth about the coming back. And I know this, Jesus promised them and he promised us he is coming again. So he says to them, believe me, I'm going to come back. That's just good news. Now in verse 7 through 14, he says, believe me, that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look what he says. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, let, let me say something about that verse before I get into the rest of this real quick. This idea of knowing, there's two different words here in the Greek language. The English doesn't really show it. One is gnosko, and it's the idea of that more interpersonal relationship and knowing that someone. And the other is oida, and it's a word that you know from deductive. It's an intellectual thing. You've deduced it, and you know it. And so he uses these words here, and he says, if you really knew me, this gnosko, this relationship, you would know, oida, you would have deducted and seen that I'm the Father. And then he, and then he says, and then you will know him, gnosko, you'll have that same kind of relationship. If you've seen me, Jesus says, you've seen the Father. He and the Father are one. Now later on, he's going to, in the text, he's going to add in the Holy Spirit. And you're going to get the Trinity picture right here. Who are all for us. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me? Philip, even after long, I've been among you for such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Say, look. Believe me, if you're not going to just believe my words, you've been with me all this time. Look at, look at the people that have, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing. I've raised those from the dead. I've healed the sick. The lame are walking. At least look at the evidence. I am who I claim to be. I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll even do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. He says, not only have we seen these great things done, there's going to be a time where you're going to do even greater things than these. You mean we're going to do greater things than Jesus? That's what he's telling them. There's going to be something happen here that's greater than just these individual events that are going to take place. And it's going to be because of how he has chosen to use the disciples to impact the world. So he says, believe me when I tell you I'm coming back for you. Believe me when I say 
I am the way, the truth, the life. Believe me when I say the Father and me are one. Then he says, verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I commanded. And I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Interesting thing here he says about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to give you another There are two different words for another in the language. And one means another of a different kind. This one means another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is the same as Jesus and the Father. And I'm going to give you another who's the same kind of counselor to be with you. And look how long he's going to be with you. Forever. It's permanent. I'm going to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. By the way, does that remind you of, of chapter 1? Because in chapter 1, at the end of that, that, that prologue, in, uh, 1 through 19, he said, remember when he says about Jesus? Je, he said, Jesus says, I came into the world. John writes that he, Jesus came into the world, and the world did not know him. They did not accept him. Even his own did not accept him. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. The world can't see and understand and accept who the Spirit of God is. Now, now, let's keep reading just a little bit more. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. There's that promise. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I love that. I will not leave you as orphans. You're not going to be by yourself. You're not going to have to guide this whole journey by yourself. I'm going to be with you. How many times have you wondered, you just feel like you're in this thing by yourself and you need the words and the encouragement of Jesus to say, I am not alone. Jesus did not leave me as an orphan. I have the Holy Spirit of God living in me. Now, most of us, where we get in a bind here is we think that somehow or another, by my emotions, I can tell that the Holy Spirit lives in me. That's not the defining factor that the Holy Spirit lives in you. The defining factor that the Holy Spirit lives in you is that Jesus says the Holy Spirit will live in you. His Word, the Word of the Spirit, the Word of the Father, all gives testimony that the Spirit of God lives in His people. Now, if that's true, are you with me? If that's true, then the church that has the Spirit of God ought to look different than people in the world. But do we? You see, I think, uh, I think the test is asking questions like this. Or some observations I've had. A church which which doesn't live in the Spirit of God always has a gap between their belief and their behavior. There's always a big gap. Their behavior is no different than the world. People in the world don't can't tell by working with them every day and living with them and walking with them that they're a Christian. They don't see anything different. There's a gap between what they say they believe and what someone lives in life when there's not when they don't have the spirit of god 
We're not conscious of the Spirit of God. We're not depending on the Spirit of God. The Spirit is described as wind and as fire and as passion. I'm not talking about an experience of emotion here. I'm talking about not the movement of my heart or my, or my emotions. I'm talking about the movement of God. God moves. God moves in our lives. And we're so, sometimes we so intellectualize the Spirit right out of things in church. You think about it for a minute. It's planning, when planning has priority over prayer, we're in trouble. When I depend upon my design and my organization as a strategy to grow the church, I'm going to run into a little difficulty there because all of us, if I do that more than I went to God in prayer about that, then the problem is I'm depending on my intellect instead of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense to us? How dare we plan for two hours and pray for two minutes? And expect somehow or another to be led by the Spirit of God. The church that experiences revival understands that it's dependent upon the move of God. We find where God is working and we join in. And we see how God does things. And and, and save us from our own intellect that want to just strategize out the Spirit of God, based on our desire about what's respectable and what's good in the community and what will happen. We get so worried sometimes about how people will, what people will think about us that all of a sudden we're trying to do something that people will like in the world. The world doesn't know the Spirit. The world doesn't have the Spirit. We, instead of being respectable, we need to be vulnerable that says, this is just who we are in our mess and in our mistakes, and God saved us, and we got a good message for you. That's where we got to get. If I think that I can, by my own intellect, organize a growth of God's church, I'm way dependent on the wrong thing. Now, look, that doesn't mean we don't. God gave us a mind. He gave us abilities to plan, to work, to do things. But it's always got to be in terms of priority. The Holy Spirit must be who we depend upon. He gives us His Word to follow. He lives in us to guarantee that we're, that we're, our bodies are going to be coming out of the ground. He guides us. He watches over us. He's a counselor. That idea there is that He walks alongside of us. And he teaches us. Now he says something else that goes along with this idea of when he says, tells them to believe me, the Spirit is coming. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Because so many times this idea of love is, is so wrapped up in emotion. Now, it's not that emotion isn't there. God made us an emotional people, Right? But we can't trust those emotions to decide what's truth or not. That's the difference. When we trust those, we trust ourselves instead of, or even trust the lies someone's fed us, instead of trusting the Word of God. So that becomes a little bit of a challenge. You see, these guys are feeling confused and saddened 
and their hearts are perplexed because, uh, because Jesus is leaving. And Jesus' answers to them is, is, look here, don't have a troubled heart. Instead, do something about it. Trust me, what it says later in the text, obey the commands. Get on the side of, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to take action to keep His commandments. Love is displayed in the obedience to God's commands. That's how people understand people love God. Because they're busy obeying the commands of God. They're not busy sitting in their sadness, wallowing in the pityness of life. Because they've had a tough time. Instead, love is on display when men and women are keeping the commands of God. Obedience says, I love my Father. Obedience says, I follow the Spirit of God. Obedience says, I trust my Savior. No, we don't earn our salvation. It's not about earning, but it is about effort. It is about displaying the love of God by our humbly submitting ourselves to His Word, to obey His Word at every opportunity. Now, that's a challenge. But that gets us out of that. I'm sitting around feeling sorry for myself. I'm feeling sad. My emotions are dictating all my, all my actions. And Jesus says, look, don't let your heart be troubled. Do something about it. Obey me. Follow me. Trust me. Believe in me. I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit between now and then. I'm going to give you the words of the Father to follow. You've got everything going for you. And Jesus replied in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we'll come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. How do you prove your love to your mate? Do you have to wake up every morning with a great positive emotion that gets up out of bed and says, Oh, you are everything to me in life. I mean, I tell you, you are just, uh, you, you're, I can't wait to live with you. Another, is, that how you is that how it works at your house? I mean, if I did that to Susan, I'd scare her to death. She said, What is wrong with you? It's not that there aren't emotions from time to time, right? But that's not how you get up. That's not how you determine love. Now, love is when you decide you want the best for someone else. And the best you can give them is Jesus. So when I make decisions in my family and in my marriage because I want them to experience heaven. And I, I, and I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know God. When that's the deciding factor of everything I do, they'll know I love them. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now look, look at this last little section. 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. And here he says it again. He starts the chapter and he concludes it with the same way. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You've heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now and let us leave. You know what he says? Believe me when I say I'm coming back for you. Believe me when I say I'm the way. Believe me when I say if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Believe me when I say you won't be orphans. You'll have the Holy Spirit of God inside you. Believe me when I say my words are the words of the Father. Believe me when I say my peace I give to you, not like the world gives. And Jesus says, I'm not going to be around here much longer, guys. He knows then, and then not too many hours from this point and this comment that he's going to be hanging on a cross. And he knows the struggle these guys are going through now and will have through that time. But he assures them he's coming back. The question is today is what kind of peace do you have? What kind of peace do I have? Do I let things trouble my heart that I ought to be casting off and let God deal with. That's usually the problem. Is, is we say we believe, we say we trust, but then somehow or another we keep hanging on to the same old things that burden us. Satan loves to, loves to make you believe a lie. He loves to make remind you of your past sins. He loves to keep you in guilt and shame when God says you're forgiven and you're holy. He loves to remind you of your unholiness in the past. You can't go around living a life of spirit-filled joy while dragging behind you the guilt, the shame of the past that you left behind. Paul said, forget those things that are behind. Press on towards something a whole lot better. Peace. Peace. My brother reminds me of this all the time. Anytime he sends a message or signs something or writes something, he always writes at the bottom, peace. In Jesus' day, peace was just a greeting people had with one another. But Jesus is talking way more than a greeting. He wants to give you peace. Let me ask you something. In the last few months, what's the thing you've worried about the most? Is it the virus? Is that what got your heart all troubled up? Is it the election? Is that what's got you all in turmoil? Sometimes it's as sometimes it's as silly or elementary as a as your ball team losing a game. It gets you troubled in heart. Maybe it's your kid that you're not sure they're on quite the right path and you just are troubled in heart about that. 
He's not saying don't love, don't be concerned. He's not saying that. But a troubled heart needs to trust in order to find the peace that he's wanting to give. Jesus says, believe me. Say it with me. Believe me. One more time. Believe me. Jesus says, believe me. And you can have that kind of peace. If that's what you want, if you want that kind of peace, we have opportunity for you today. Put your faith in the story of Jesus and who he is. Be baptized into Christ. Start all over. Brand new. When he comes, he comes for you. Peace. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the day. We pray, Father, that uh, we can get rid of our troubled hearts. We pray, Father, that we would believe and trust your words, your son. We're thankful, Father, for your Holy Spirit. May he guide us individually. May he guide us as a church and empower us to be a great testimony in this community. Father, may we have full confidence in the return of Jesus. And until he does, may we have a commitment to keep his commandments, to share his love, to walk humbly, to love mercy, and to do what's right. Thank you, Father, for your good news of the gospel. May it continue to grow our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, if you have a need, please come while we stand and sing.